Good morning, ECC. It's a blessing to be with you. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. Colossians, chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 2 to 6. And as you're turning there, I just want to say to you as ECC, thank you. I want to tell you that I love you as my time and our family's time in Abu Dhabi is drawing to a close. I, I want to say thank you to so many of you who have welcomed us and loved us so well. Thank you for inviting us into your homes. Thank you for praying with us. Thank you for caring for our children. Uh, we, we love you. We have been so deeply blessed uh, by this season at ECC. As we've talked about leaving uh, recently, some of you have asked, uh, have you been here one year or two years? I don't remember if you came 2019 or 2020. And uh, the answer to that is, of course, no. Uh, we've been here about six months. It does feel long. Uh, I'm going to take that question as a compliment. So uh, <laughs> we have, we've, we've loved worshiping with you, fellowshipping with you, serving alongside you. And I praise God for the way that he has drawn our hearts together. Uh, we look forward to staying in contact with many of you even as we go. We thank God for lifelong friendships that he's given in this time here. So I just want to say thank you and we love you. I also want to say as we look at God's word together this morning, there's going to be some strong commands that we read in scripture. And I want to say even as this is landing heavy on you, I want to tell you these are ways that I'm weak that I need to grow also. And so I feel this pointing back at myself. Uh, let's look together to God's word, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And it says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great gift of your word. We thank you that you've given us your word and your Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who lived as a man, who lived a life without sin, who died taking the punishment that we deserve so that we may be reconciled to you and come before you as your children. We ask that you help us this morning to give our attention fully to your word. God, help us to receive it with joy and with gladness and apply it in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the 10th of April, 1912, something historic happened. The largest ship ever built to date set sail. It was a ship filled with unimaginable luxury, a ship with the most high-tech equipment that could even be conceived of, a ship with things that no previous ship had ever had. Not only was it large and luxurious and high-tech, but they claimed it was unsinkable. 
So on the 10th of April, 1912, it set sail from its port and for four days continued along as planned, continued on schedule. On board, amongst the many other uh, high-tech advances that were incorporated, was a high-powered radio tower for sending and receiving telegrams built and managed by the Marconi Company. Uh, the chief operator on deck was called Jack Phillips. He was running the, the radio tower, a representative of the Marconi Company. So they're going along four days, smooth sailing. Everybody's happy, partying, enjoying life. And on April 14th, they receive a, a warning, a telegram in the morning, 9 a.m., saying that there's ice ahead. So Jack Phillips receives this message, relays it to the captain. 1.42 in the afternoon, they receive another such warning, which he also relays to the captain. More warnings of ice came at 1.45 in the afternoon, 7.30 in the evening, 9.40 at night. These three were ignored by Jack Phillips, not passed on to the captain. He was busy sending and receiving personal correspondences for the rich passengers on deck, talking about their time, how they're enjoying life, too busy to send on these three warnings to the captain. At 10.30 that night, a final warning came. As the telegram is coming in, Jack Phillips responds to the ship, sending it, shut up, shut up, I'm working. The message never got to the captain. Shortly thereafter, the Titanic struck the iceberg, which would sink it, killing over 1,500 people, two-thirds of those on board. You see, Jack Phillips ought to have spoken to the captain. He ought to have warned the crew of the impending doom. But he was so busy with what was right in front of him, so busy with his work, so distracted by the passengers on board who were enjoying life, having a good time, that he ignored the warnings and failed to pass them on. I feel that fear that many of us may be in a similar situation, so engrossed with what's right in front of our faces, so busy with work and family and things going on that we think that we're too busy to pass on a warning, a message of the utmost importance to the people around us. This morning, as we look at Colossians 4, we see several encouragements, several commands from the Apostle Paul to the Colossian church. Here at ECC, we talk about our mission to be gospel ambassadors. So I want to show you this morning from the text three ways to be gospel ambassadors. First, we see that we pray for gospel opportunities. Second, we speak the gospel clearly. And finally, we live the gospel wisely. So these are our three points for this morning from Colossians 4, 2 to 6. We pray for gospel opportunities, speak the gospel clearly, and live the gospel wisely. First, Paul says to the Colossian church, continue steadfastly in prayer. If you're reading a different translation, it may say, devote yourself to prayer. Give yourself wholly to the work of prayer. This is, in fact, the same word last week when we read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, when it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the same word. Paul's calling us to give ourselves completely 
to the work of prayer. He says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, it may seem odd to you to start a sermon, to start a passage on evangelism with this call to prayer. Uh, But something I want to show you is that this actually is exactly what Jesus taught. Uh, Some of you guys are reading with us the the Bible reading plan this year. On Thursday, we read Matthew chapter 9. And at the end of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, it, it says he looked at the crowds and he had pity on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he turns and he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, and you may expect, because you know Matthew chapter 28, you may expect he's going to say, therefore, go. But what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 9 is, therefore, pray to the Lord to send workers into his harvest. When Jesus sees the need of the world, his first command to the disciples is pray. When Paul is encouraging us towards evangelism, the first thing that he says is continue steadfastly in prayer. Last week, we heard a very powerful sermon on prayer, on the urgency and the value and importance of prayer. I hope that even this week, you were helped, that you were able to make application and grow in that. And I want to say to you, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then he says, still in verse 2, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We're called to be watchful. We're called to remember where we are. Called to be watchful. Look around you. What's going on? And as a Christian living in this world, you're to remember you're in enemy territory. Now, all of us can feel this a little bit here in Abu Dhabi because your passport says you're from somewhere else. It's from India or from Kenya, from China, from Canada. And so you know Abu Dhabi is not your home. But don't be fooled into thinking that your home is what your passport says. If you are in Christ, your home is not in this world. The Bible says to you that you are a stranger and an alien, a sojourner. If you are in Christ, you're a foreigner in this world. Your home is in heaven. So when you pray, be watchful. Don't don't be lazy and and forget where you are. Some of you may have read the book uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is a extended allegory, a story about a man named Christian who's traveling to the celestial city, to heaven. And as he goes on his way, he meets with people whose name fit exactly who they are, and he faces various challenges. And at one point, Christian is traveling with Hopeful, and they come to what's called the Enchanted Ground, and they see people sleeping everywhere, and they feel this overwhelming fatigue come over them to just lay down and rest but they realize this is a sleep that leads to death. This is a spell that's all around us. The world wants you to forget where you are and to forget where you belong. So first, we need to devote ourselves to prayer and be watchful in it. Remember, this world is not your home. And we're watchful in it with thanksgiving. Often when we... Pray, we come with a list of requests, and 
God, please give me this. God, please give me that. But when we pray with thanksgiving, we look outside of ourselves. We look beyond ourselves, and we recognize that God is at work in the world. We give thanks to him for what he's doing. Pray steadfastly with watchfulness and thanksgiving. Second, as we pray, we pray for gospel opportunities. Paul says this in verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Now, Paul says here he's in prison, but when he prays for an open door, he's not saying, pray for an open door so that I can leave these chains. He says, pray for an open door for what? To declare the mystery of Christ. Paul says, pray for gospel opportunities. And we pray before we do anything else because we recognize it's God that needs to work. I am utterly incapable of doing what needs to be done. I'm incapable of making someone's heart ready to hear and receive the word. I'm incapable of orchestrating opportunities. I can't do that, but God can. I can speak, I can say words. Maybe someone hears in a physical sense, you know, the sounds come in and their brain deciphers them. But only God can move a heart to receive the word. So first, as you're devoting yourself to prayer, pray for gospel opportunities. Pray for an open door to declare the mystery of Christ. And I want to encourage you, just practically, make a plan to pray for gospel opportunities, whether that's for one of our church planters that we've sent out, one of our missionaries, our pastors, someone in your life group, yourself, another missionary or pastor, you know, pray for them for gospel opportunities. It may, perhaps to some of you, feel unspiritual to make a plan and think about exactly how you're going to pray. But I know I find for myself, I'm very weak. I need concrete reminders. And so what I would encourage you to do, maybe you have this Bible reading plan, you've been reading through it, and just Take a pen and write down, maybe first day of the week, I'm going to pray for Wiley and Ruiz. God, please open a door for Wiley to proclaim the mystery of Christ. And second day of the week, I'm going to pray for somebody else. I'm going to pray for somebody in my life group. God, please open a door for them to declare the mystery of Christ. Give yourself concrete reminders. Make a plan to pray for those who are declaring the gospel. Pray for God to open an opportunity that they may be able to declare the mystery of Christ. Some of you may have heard the name Hudson Taylor. He was a famous missionary in China in the 19th century, founded the China Inland Mission, and God gave him great help and success in his evangelistic efforts in China. He established the China Inland Mission, and they had various outposts in different cities in inland China. And... Later on, as he's leading this organization, overseeing the various outposts, he sees there's, there's one that is just seeing incredible fruit. Everything that they're doing is succeeding. The gospel is going forth. And so they work to find out what's different here. And 
you know, they're living righteously, they're living in obedience, they're preaching the gospel, but it's really, they're doing the same things that everybody else was doing. Then later, Hudson Taylor returns to England, he's preaching in various churches, and he's raising funds to support the work of the China Inland Mission. And one week he'd preached in a particular church, talked about what God was doing, and a man comes up to him afterwards and starts asking really detailed questions about this one guy in this one place. How are things going? How's he doing? What's happening? And uh, Hudson Taylor finally says, do you, do you know this man? And he says, yes, you know, we live together in university and I've prayed for him every day these past several years. And so Hudson Taylor says, then I knew. Why was the work there flourishing more than all the others? It's because this man in England was faithful every single day in prayer. God works in answer to prayer. You may not be able to go to all of these different places. You may not be able to be intimately involved in the work, but you can do the most important work because it's God who works in answer to your prayer when you are faithful in prayer, asking for gospel opportunities, asking that God would open a door to declare the mystery of Christ. He answers those prayers. So I want to urge you, devote yourself to prayer for gospel opportunities. Secondly, as we see here, he's, he's asking for a door to declare a message. He summarizes this here in verse 3 as the mystery of Christ. Now, mystery, as we see when we see this word in the Bible, it's talking about something that's been previously hidden, something that was hidden and has now been revealed. And actually here in Colossians chapter 4, Paul's saying the mystery is Christ. We see in Colossians chapter 1, he says the same thing. The content of this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when we're praying for a door to declare the mystery, we're praying, God, let me speak about Jesus Christ, who he was, why he came to earth, why he became a man, what it meant for him to suffer and to die. Open a door for me to declare who Jesus is. I want to ask you, make a plan to pray for gospel opportunities for somebody else. But I want to ask you again, think about someone that you know that doesn't know Jesus. It could be one person, two, five, and write down the names. If you're taking notes, just take a moment, think about someone. It could be a family member, a neighbor, a friend doesn't know Jesus, and commit to pray for them. If, you're, if you don't have a piece of paper you're writing on now, take out your phone, set a reminder, put it in your calendar, whatever's going to help you. Commit yourself to praying for others that God would open a door for them to speak the mystery of Christ, but also for people to hear. One of my favorite preachers is a man named Alistair Begg, and he says this, you can do more than pray after you pray, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. So when we think about evangelism, when we think about the advance of the gospel, we start here with prayer. Pray for gospel opportunities. Our second point is this, we need to speak the gospel clearly. In verse 4, 
He says that I may make, uh, sorry, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. We have to start with prayer. Nothing of value will happen apart from God working. Nothing of value will come from your strength or my strength, from your abilities or mine. For anything good to happen, God has to work. So we start with prayer. But then, once you've prayed, you have to speak. The book of Romans says, faith comes by hearing. So once we've prayed, we need to speak. And here, it's helpful to know what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. So our goal is to declare the mystery of Christ, to share the gospel. The gospel is not, I'm praying for you. The gospel is not, I'm a Christian or I go to church. The gospel is not, God loves you. The gospel is not your testimony and what God's done in your life. Now, all those things are good. Those things are all true. But it's like this. Imagine I make a plan. I'm going to take a trip with my family to Fujairah. And so we get up, get everything ready, get the kids in the car, buckle them up. I sit down, put on my seatbelt, start the car. And then after a minute or two, Megan would say to me, are you going to drive? And what would, how would it be if I said, no, you know, I feel like I've done my part. I'm just going to wait for the rest to happen. I, you know, I buckled the kids up. I started the car. That's, that's really, I feel like I've done my job. It's, it's not going to work. We're never going to get to Fujera if I don't actually drive. Now, all those things, putting the kids in, buckling them up, putting on my seatbelt, starting the car, all those things are great. It's a great way to start a trip. But then you actually have to drive. The gospel is also not, you may have, you may have heard this line before, there's a very famous quote, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times, for which it is necessary to use words. Faith comes by hearing. Now, all those things are good. That's a good start, but not the gospel. Now, many of us, I think, are probably in this situation that you believe the gospel, you trust in God, you've been born again, you, you believe but if I jumped out when you're at Lulu's and I just said, what is the gospel? You'd say, um, uh, uh, Jesus and God. And, you know, if, if I just jump out and ambush you, you don't know exactly what to say, perhaps. That's okay. Uh, to that end, I want to help you, just give you some practical tools. It could also be you're here this morning and... You're not following Jesus. And all this talk about gospel, gospel, gospel is confusing. What are you guys talking about? So I want to say to you, the gospel is good news. We can sum it up. I'll give you five words just to kind of help you remember it. You can use this if it's helpful. 
you don't have to, if you have something else that's helpful, that's fine too. But these five words, okay, just to summarize, God, man, Christ, response, results. So first, God. There is an infinite amount of true things that I could say about God. But there's, there's a minimum that we need to communicate, right? So there's one God. He exists in three persons. One God who is holy and righteous, the creator of all things. There's so much more that I could say, but these things are really essential. One God who is holy, who is the creator of all things. Second word is man. That's us. We said God's the creator. God created man in his image. And God created man good. God created man to be his representatives in the world. But the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, fell into sin. Through them, sin entered the world. And since that day, every human to be born, except for one, is born with the penalty of sin, is born with a nature and a tendency to sin. We're born under God's wrath. We are apart from God because of Adam's sin and because of our own sin. God is holy and righteous, you remember? We are sinful and separated from God. So far... This is mostly bad news. But then we get to the third point. That is Christ, our Lord Jesus. God sent his son Jesus. Not a separate God, not another God, not a lesser God. God the Son, one God in three persons. God sent his son Jesus to be born as a man like us, but to live a life perfectly and completely without sin. Jesus lived a perfect life and he died to bear the pen penalty of sin. Not his own sins, but to bear the penalty of our sins, of the sins of those who would believe in him. And in God's grace, God credits believers with the righteous obedience of Jesus and Jesus takes the punishment that our sins deserve. Now, the fourth word is response. It's possible to hear who God is, who man is, who Christ is, and kind of generally accept that as maybe that's true. But the fourth word, this is essential to the gospel. If you're here this morning, you hear me, first time you've ever heard these things about who God is, about who we are, about who Jesus is, I want to urge you, beg you, don't hear this and reject it. Don't hear this and think, okay, that's, that sounds fine. I think I can agree with that. But you need to respond in faith, in repentance, turning away from everything else, turning to trust Jesus only for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins. If you're sharing the gospel, this is essential. Otherwise, you're just starting a conversation about comparative religions. You think that, and I think this, and it's all fine. But this point is imperative. 
We need to talk about who God is, about who we are, about who Jesus is, and then we need to call for a response for someone to actually turn away from their sin, to turn away from trusting in idols and in false gods, to turn to trusting Jesus alone. And then the results of that are reconciliation with God. This is our fifth word. God, man, Christ, response, results. The result of this is reconciliation with God, a right relationship with our creator. The result of this is eternal life in heaven with God. So as you think about sharing the gospel, these five words may be helpful. Now, it's, it's also possible that you're here and you hear all that and you believe all that, and maybe you've even heard these five words before, but you feel kind of embarrassed, like it would be unpleasant to do this. Uh, it would be hard to do that. And I want to just encourage you, this is good news. This is the best news that anyone could ever hear. This is not some burden that's being put on you, but this is an incredible opportunity to tell someone words that give life. Pray for gospel opportunities, then speak the gospel clearly. This is an amazing blessing that's been given to God's people. Now, it may be that it's just, it's hard. And so what I want to really urge you to do is fill your heart and your mind with these truths. Meditate on these things. Rehearse them with your husband or your wife, with your friends, with your life group, with somebody else in the church. Think about these things. Put them always in front of your eyes. Let this fill your heart so that it's not just something that, yeah, you know, I think that's what we believe as Christians. And, but this is who you are. This is the depth of what makes you get up and go. Fill your mind and your heart with the gospel so that it overflows. We talk about what we love. All of us have something. Maybe it's clothes. Maybe it's food. Maybe there's a place, a new place opens in Abu Dhabi and whatever they have, it's the best and it's cheaper than the other places. And so you tell all your friends, you got to go here. And you're not embarrassed to tell them about it because you're excited. You tell them about it. Maybe you're excited about sports. Um, you know, this morning I woke up and I prayed, read through a psalm. And then as I'm getting ready, I look at ESPN Crick Info and I see Virat Kohli has resigned as the test captain for India. And so I send Aubrey a text. Did you see this? I'm not embarrassed to talk about cricket. If I find somebody, if I find a way to work that in the conversation... I'm happy to do it. The gospel should be filling our minds and our hearts, who we are, what we're excited about in this way, so that whenever there's an opportunity, you're praying for God to open doors, and then you're just, you can't wait to talk about it. It's oozing out of who you are. So there's an opportunity, and you say, yes, I get to talk about Jesus. I get to talk about what he's done. Take those opportunities with joy. So we see Colossians 4 telling us to pray for gospel opportunities. We see it telling us to speak the gospel clearly. And then finally, 
Verses 5 and 6, we see God's word calling us to live the gospel wisely. Verses 5 and 6 say this, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. God's word urges us towards wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. It may be that you think wisdom for me means security. It means caution. It means I need to be really careful about what I say and who I say it to. I think for some people, their wisdom is preventing them from ever sharing the gospel, is preventing them from boldly praying for things. If that's the case, I want to tell you, you're getting far too clever for your own good. Paul here is writing from prison. Wisdom may get you fired. Wisdom may get you thrown in jail. Wisdom is not always security. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. You know, two of our former apprentices from here at ECC are laboring faithfully in a place where there is a regular threat of violence against them, in a place where the church that they were a part of was bombed some time back. Pray for them. We are raising men up and sending men out for this task. Now, just to balance here, wisdom means that when this is being recorded, I'm not telling you their names or their location. If you want to pray for them by name and you don't know who I'm talking about, come talk with us afterward. We want you to be praying for these brothers. But wisdom does not mean not speaking. Wisdom does not mean putting security above everything else. Wisdom means speaking God's word boldly and clearly taking every opportunity. Now, you may feel, I'm just too busy. I, have, I don't have any time for that. And, you know, there are times, there may be a day, a week, a season where you are just busy. A couple weeks ago, all three of our kids were sick, and, you know, we're just keeping our heads above water. That's the way it is sometimes. That's okay. But if you say for a whole month, a whole year, a whole decade, I don't have any time, I'm just too busy, I can't do this, I want to call you to use your time wisely. Make a plan. Set apart time for this. As we talk about this, I want to give just a few examples from here in the body at ECC. Um, many of you will know, before I came in June of this year, Aubrey was here as the only staff pastor. Incredibly busy, you know, 90-hour weeks. And we landed, and I think it was our second night here. He says, hey, I, wanna, I want you to come with me, having dinner with a friend. And so we go and have dinner and spend several hours with a friend of his who doesn't follow Jesus and another friend of this guy's. They've been meeting together regularly in the midst of busyness, setting aside time 
I want to use my time wisely, making opportunities for this. Wisdom with time means that you're making the most of these opportunities. You're setting priorities that allow you to speak God's word. Wisdom with your time also means that once you've set apart that time, you speak clearly. It's, it would be possible. Some of us may have even done this. I, I've certainly been guilty of this. You set apart the time. You pray. And then you sit down with the person and you just talk about sports or weather or nothing. And you just fritter away the time and it's gone. You've made an opportunity and then you've wasted it. Wisdom means taking that opportunity and then using it to speak God's word. Many of us were blessed by hearing the testimony of our brother Abdullah uh, two weeks ago on New Year's Eve, how he heard the word of God, how he came to faith in Jesus, and how God used our brother Daniel Sierra to, to meet with him. Now Daniel, when they sat and met together, surely they talked about personal things, but then he took that time, took that opportunity we're going to look at God's word together. Wisdom with your time means setting apart time that reflect these priorities. It means using that time productively, looking at God's word. And then finally, it means making the most of the opportunities that you have. Maybe you don't have tomorrow an extra two hours to sit down with somebody. But what you do have is a lot of small opportunities. Maybe there's a neighbor that you ride the elevator with three, four days a week. Now in that 20-second ride, 30-second ride, don't feel like you have to get through these five words, God, man, Jesus, response, results, now. You're going to make them uncomfortable and be very unproductive yourself. Don't feel that burden but making the most of every opportunity also means don't say nothing. You could say something like, hi, good morning, how are you? My name's JP, what's your name? And maybe over the course of a few weeks, 20 seconds at a time, you learn where they work and about their family, where they're from. And then after a little time, maybe you can say, hey, what are you doing this Saturday? Maybe we could grab a cup of coffee. I'd like to get to know you. Maybe you could come over for dinner one night. And you've made that opportunity. You've used the time wisely. That may be 20 seconds at a time, 45 seconds at a time, but you use that time wisely. Make the most of the opportunities that you have to declare the mystery of Christ. I am honestly very weak in this. I think many of us are weak in this way, but I have an example that uh, may get me in trouble. Um, so I, somebody who is a great example of this to me is my own wife, Megan. So she's busy. We've got three boys. You can hear them if you're careful. They're busy. She's homeschooling. There's a lot going on. She isn't doing, you know, out and here and there and whatever. But what she's done is build relationships with several ladies in our building. You know, take the kids out to the park together. Take the opportunity to talk to somebody. 
It may not even leave our apartment complex. But making the most of whatever opportunities you have, this is what it means to make the best use of the time. The time is short, so we use it wisely. Finally, Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. This is another aspect of wisdom. Be conscious of your speech. He gives the example of salt. Imagine, think about whatever your favorite meal is. And then think about if you make it, you can even try this, make it without any salt. It doesn't matter how good it is. When you taste it, it's going to be just not very pleasant. Then if you season it with salt, it lifts those flavors and it takes something that was kind of bland and weird and unpleasant and it makes it delicious, something that you just want more of. Let your speech be that way. Speak with kindness and love. Be aware of how you're interacting with other people. Don't always dominate the conversation and think, you know, I need to make the most of this, and so I'm going to really dive into some obscure theological point and going to make them feel bad that they haven't read this article that I read, and we're going to just dive into it. It's good to be right. Theological precision is beautiful. But if you're always dominating and speaking in that way, people aren't going to want to listen and you're not going to be able to help anyone. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. But then, he says, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If we're speaking with grace, people are going to want to hear more of it. But then we need to know, we need to have wisdom to know, when do I say a difficult word? Proverbs 25, 15 says, a soft word breaks a bone. You need to be ready. Speak with grace and salt and gentleness. But then, when the time comes, when the opportunity comes, use that to speak with power and clarity about the gospel. If you turn over in your Bibles just a couple pages to the end of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. We speak to people in different ways according to their needs. You may see here in verse 6, Paul says, not so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone, but so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Use spiritual wisdom to listen sensitively and respond specifically to those that you're around. Make the best use of the time. Speak with grace. Speak with gospel clarity. Now just as you're doing that, as a practical note, there are a lot of ways that you could get into this. As you're listening to someone, as you're talking to them, even if you think I'm going to use these five words, you don't have to go right in that order. It may be that you're, you meet with a neighbor and you go out for a walk and you're enjoying the beautiful weather, see the sunshine and the sea. Take a chance to praise God for his creative power. Praise God for the beauty that he's made. 
Use that as an opportunity to start talking about this. It may be that you're talking with someone and you're lamenting brokenness in the world. You're lamenting injustice. You're lamenting the way that things are, how they're not how they ought to be. Use that to talk about, start by talking about who we are as fallen, how sin came to enter the world, and then engage them with the gospel that way. It may be that you're talking to someone that doesn't have any hope. They need a source of hope. You can start with the hope that's offered in the gospel. What does Jesus promise to those who follow him? And then you can start talking about all of these other points as well. Listen to people. Love them. Speak with grace. Let your speech be like well-seasoned food that people just want more of it so that you can proclaim the gospel clearly. So we pray for gospel opportunities. We speak the gospel clearly. And finally, we live the gospel wisely. So I want to urge you this morning, think about how you can use your time, how you can use your gifts, how you can use the opportunities that you have, how you can use the relationships that you're already a part of. Set aside time to pray for gospel opportunities and then use the efforts, the gifts, the opportunities that God's given you to speak the gospel clearly while living in a winsome way that points people to Jesus. Let's do this together as gospel ambassadors representing our King, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ. We thank you for this great privilege of speaking life-giving words to those around us. God, we ask that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, help us to be faithful in this, help us to do it with joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.